You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Well, good morning, church family. If you have a Bible with you, if you will make your way to the gospel according to Luke, we are continuing on in our sermon series from the manger to the throne. Today, we are going to be in chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. But before you turn there, will you actually make your way to the first four verses of Luke's gospel? I want to begin this morning by reading these opening words of this gospel. So I'd like to read Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 with you. Church, this is God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, and ministers of the word have, the, have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also. Sorry about that. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. If you recall the verses I just read, the first four verses of Luke's gospel, they, they function as a preface. Now, every book doesn't have a preface, but Luke begins his book with this preface. And in a preface, if you remember what's happening in a preface, the, the author is taking a moment before he gets into the content of the book. The author is seeking to address the reader directly and tell them, here's why I wrote this book. And that's what Luke does in these first four verses. And in this case, and in light of this gospel, Luke informs this man by the name of Theophilus that he wrote down this orderly account for him as well as anyone else that would read it, so that they could have certainty about the things which God fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, is the preface of this book. Now, consider chapters 1 through 2, the prelude. So there's a preface, and there's... A prelude, and that's what chapters 1 through 2 are, where a preface allows the author to speak directly to us as the reader. What, what the prelude does is it prepares the reader for what's about to take place by giving us a preview of some of the main themes that we are going to encounter later on in this book. So I want you to think of all of chapter 1 and 2 we've been making our way through as the prelude to Luke's gospel. Now, I realize everyone here may not be 
a avid reader. So maybe this illustration isn't as helpful for you. So if I could make the same point but use a different illustration, think of chapters one and two like a movie preview. Does that help you better? Yeah, this is a movie preview. What's happening in Luke chapter one through two is that Luke is giving us this preview, a glimpse into several of the major themes that he is going to address. And we're going to see them unfold and flower and and become far more clear in later chapters. And today, today we come to the end of this prelude. We come to the end of chapter Two. Chapter 2, verses 41 through 52 is our text for this morning. And now Luke is closing out this preview. Now that we can begin to understand and be prepared for the public ministry of Jesus that will begin in chapter 3. So now let me read Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Now, when his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This final story in the prelude to Luke's gospel, it is meant to prepare us for the spiritual journey that lies ahead as we make our way through this book. I I don't know how you have approached or have viewed this series in Luke's gospel, but I, I want to encourage everyone here to view this study of Luke's gospel in the following way. Each and every Sunday, we are in Luke's gospel. I want you to view this as if you are on 
a journey. We are, we are going to be on a journey, and this is a spiritual journey. It's a spiritual journey as we follow Jesus and we arrive at a place of certainty. That's the goal of Luke's gospel. He told us that in his preface. We, we are on this journey as we follow Jesus and we arrive at a place of certainty. Now, one word of warning as we travel together. If this is going to be a journey, let, let me just give this warning. Here, here's what we're going to discover, and we see this in today's text. On this journey, we will at times be surprised by Jesus, and at times we may even struggle with what he says and what he does. And every truth we encounter along this road to certainty will not always bring us to an immediate point of comprehension. So we're going to come to truths in Luke's gospel that are true and good, and we're not immediately going to go, ah, got it. So therefore, faith is going to be required. We're going to need faith on this journey. We're going to need patience. We're going to need humility. And most of all, we, we, we must come in every time prayed up. Praying for ourselves. Praying for whoever is preaching. And praying for us as a congregation that we will benefit and grow. And we will arrive at this destination of certainty together. Now in Luke chapter 2 verses 41 through 52, this morning we come to a first a destination in our journey that's very important. We arrive at the temple in Jerusalem. And I say this is an important place because if you recall, this is where the story of Luke began. Chapter 1, verse 5. This is where Luke begins his gospel. And if you fast forward to the end, chapter 24, verse 52, this is where Luke's gospel ends. Luke's gospel begins at the temple in Jerusalem and it ends with the temple and Jerusalem. And today we are going there. But I must warn you, I hope you have your walking shoes on because we're going to do some serious travel today. We're going to go from Jerusalem, then we're going to start making our way back home only to realize we got to go back to Jerusalem. And then after we go to Jerusalem, we're going to go back to Nazareth again. Now, the path we're going to follow this morning so that we all stay together and no one gets lost. The path we're going to follow on this journey to this morning is in the following two steps. First of all, we're going to see the priorities of Jesus and the perplexity of following Jesus. The priorities of Jesus and the perplexity of following Jesus. Let's, let's look at the priorities of Jesus. And I want to draw your attention once again to verses 41 through 43. I'm going to read them. And when his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. Now let's stop there. According to Luke, it was the custom 
of not just all Jews, but according to Luke, of Joseph and Mary, to make their way to Jerusalem, to the temple, for this most sacred holiday on the Jewish calendar, the Passover. So Joseph and Mary go every year, and according to Luke, at this time, according to this story, Jesus was 12 years old. Of age. And we're told the entire family went together and they stayed in Jerusalem for seven days to celebrate the Passover. Everyone did not do that. Everyone made their way to Jerusalem. They celebrated the Passover and then some immediately after the Passover came home. But the full celebration lasted for seven days. Jesus is with them. And we're told by Luke that he is. At the age of 12. Last time we encountered Jesus, he was a few days old. Now he is 12 years of age. And this is important for us to remember because in the Jewish understanding and mindset, this was he was on the brink of starting to step into more responsibility, training, learning the Torah, and preparation for manhood. And one of the reasons I point out his age is not only because Luke tells us this, Because it's important for us to consider what happens in this story. According to verse 43, Jesus chose to stay behind in Jerusalem. Luke tells us Jesus willingly stayed in Jerusalem instead of going home with Joseph and Mary. Now that means, this is so important, that, that, that means Joseph and Mary were not negligent in their care of the Son of God. Okay? That, that's not the point of this passage. We are not going to chastise them. We're not going to you know, make funny applications about have you ever lost Jesus in your life? Has there ever been a time where you couldn't find Jesus? Well, Joseph and Mary can relate because they lost Jesus too. No, they, they didn't lose Jesus. Jesus willingly stayed behind. And it's actually clear from verse 43 that his parents did not know that Jesus had made this decision. And if you're wondering, well, how, how could that happen? I mean, how could they not look back in the rearview mirror and see him in the minivan, right? So how did they not know? Well, according to verse 44, we're given a reasonable explanation. We're told that they just assumed he was with someone else. At that time, not only did families make this pilgrimage to Jerusalem together, but often an entire community. So all the the neighbors and friends and family from Nazareth are probably all traveling together. And last time they saw him when they were heading out, he was with the group. And at some point, they say, do you you know where Jesus is? No, I I thought you knew where Jesus was. And and they had that kind of dialogue. You, You would expect parents... To have, And then we know that this is Jesus' is doing, that he chose to stay behind. Because in verse 48, when his parents finally find him, his mother rebukes him and says to him, Are you aware of the grief you have caused us? Now this clearly puts the responsibility on Jesus, not on his parents. Now, Once Joseph and Mary realize that Jesus was not with them, we're told they return back to Jerusalem 
to look for him. Verse 45. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And then when they arrive in Jerusalem, they found Jesus. And guess where he is? He is in the temple. And that in itself is not surprising. What is surprising is who he was with and what he was doing in the temple. Look at verses 46 through the beginning of verse 48. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. So all of a sudden, after this journey, when it says it was three days, it probably wasn't three days in Jerusalem. They were looking for him. A total of three days. Them going back to Nazareth, realizing he's not there, turning around, going the other way, getting there, and finding Jesus. And on that entire time, it probably took about three days. And when they find him, he's in the temple. And lo and behold, he's sitting among the most religious, well educated scholars of the law and he's sitting among them and he's not just sitting among them as some observer like he's like he's the, the audience in a panel luke actually tells us he's engaging with them he's listening he's asking questions and don't miss what it says at the end of verse 47 he must have answered some questions because they were amazed at his answers. Everyone who was in contact with him was probably wondering, who is this kid? I mean, he's, he's 12 years of age. This is when you start learning the Torah. This guy sounds like he's known the Word of God all of his life. Who is this boy? And then we're told in the second half of verse 48, that Mary and Joseph, they they approach their son. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Now, what Mary just said to Jesus when she found him should not surprise anyone here, especially any mom who's ever not been able to immediately locate their child, right? What what Mary says here is not shocking. She immediately probably did, did what any mom would do if you couldn't find your child In the grocery store, you finally find them. What do you do? You immediately run up in relief. You hug them. You tell them you love them. I'm so glad I found you. Then you push them back. You look them in the eye and you say, don't you ever do that again. You know how many gray hairs you just gave me? That's exactly what Mary does. She rebukes him. She rebukes him. Son. Why have you treated us this way? 
Jesus, what were you thinking? How inconsiderate. You had us worried sick. What were you doing? And notice what she says next. She informs Jesus that his decision to stay behind caused her and Joseph great distress. Now we can just read that and think, well, of course. This, this is merely a description of the emotional state of Mary and Joseph over those three days of, oh my gosh, where is we? I mean, God entrusts us with His Son and we can't, now we've misplaced Him. That's not what's going on here. The distress that Mary speaks of was actually prophesied by Zechariah. We go back to last week's text in verse 35. When Mary and Joseph are there in the temple, presenting their baby in the temple. Simeon says this in verse 35, and his sword will pierce through your own soul also. There's going to be a, a anguish and a distress that comes from being the mother of the Son of God. See, being the mother of Jesus was not always easy, and at times it was going to cause Mary much grief. And this is one of those occasions. Now, if you're wondering, why did Luke record this situation? You know, out of all the Gospels, he's the only one that tells us the story. Why did he do that? This is probably not one of those stories Mary and Joseph wanted written down in Scripture for everybody to remember. So why did Luke include this in his gospel account? And why does he include it at the end of this prelude that's to prepare us now for the rest of the book? Well, I believe the reason he shared this story was for the sole purpose of setting up the first recorded words of Jesus that come in verse 49. For the first time, we hear Jesus speak. And this whole situation, Luke didn't tell for comic relief. He wasn't just throwing in some anecdotes about the family. He shared this situation so that we could hear what Jesus said, not when He was a grown man. Matthew and Mark and John don't have Jesus speak until He's a grown man. Luke lets us know Jesus knew who He was, even at 12. And listen to what He says to His mother in light of her rebuke. Why were you looking for? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Jesus' response to his parents, right here in verse 49, it's, it's, it's a preview of what's to come. Because notice what's happening. Jesus is being questioned. This is the first time he's being questioned. It won't be the last time he's being questioned. 
And what does Jesus do here and every time he's questioned throughout the Gospels? He answers a question with a question. And he actually asks two questions, which I want us to consider in a moment. But before I do, here's a little caveat. We, we must not read into this. Jesus here is not being disrespectful or sinful. He's not being snarky or sarcastic or a smart mouth. It's not what he's doing. His mom didn't rebuke him in an out of embarrassment. Why were you looking for me? <laughs> That's not what he's doing. What he's saying is profound. And he asked these two questions and they're related. Why were you looking for me? And why didn't you know where to find me? In other words, by those two questions, Jesus was implying that his very identity should have revealed his location. Mom and dad had you stopped for just a little bit longer and thought about who I was. My identity would have revealed my location. Jesus was basically saying to Mary and to Joseph, I am the son of God. Why would I not be in my father's house? I know that I belong to you on this earth. And I know that I live at 123 Carpenter's Way in Nazareth. But listen, I am the eternal son of God. Why would I not be in my father's house? you didn't know where to find me, you should have known where I would be. I am the Son of God. Now, there is so much we could say about what Jesus just said in verses 49. By these two questions, he poses to his parents. For example, we could grapple with Jesus' divinity and humanity that are on display in this passage. We see Jesus' divinity, and yet we're told later on that He increased in wisdom and in stature and favor with God. And man, he's, he's, he's still man, and yet He's God. We could spend time grappling with that. Or we could focus on His unique relationship with God the Father. And if we were to fast forward once again to the last chapter of Luke's gospel, Luke 24, 49, today we hear the first words of Jesus. If we were to hear the last words of Jesus, we would hear Jesus say to his followers, I am going away and my father is going to send the spirit to you. And we could realize that all of a sudden the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is triune. There's a father. There's a son. And there's the Holy Spirit. Several years ago, I I had the privilege of preaching from this passage. And those are some of the implications I drew out of this, this, this text. And we talked about the importance of knowing Jesus and His humanity and His divinity and that He's the Son and He's one, that there is one God in three persons. But today, that's not the implications I want to make. Today, I want to draw our attention to one single word in verse 49. One single word that Jesus said that I I think we can just quickly move past, but we shouldn't. 
What is the word? Look at verse 49 again. It's the word must. Jesus said, I must be in my father's house. That word, that single word deserves our full attention. Because Luke uses that word strategically throughout the gospel of Luke and throughout the sequel that he wrote, the book of Acts. And any time Luke uses this word that in our English we translate must, it always infers and means the same thing. He is speaking of divine prerogative and design. So in other words, Jesus was saying to Mary and Joseph on that day when they said, why in the world did you go back to the temple? And Jesus was basically saying it had to happen. It had to happen. I had to be here because it was the will of my Father. Why am I here? Because I'm obeying the Father. Now make note of this occasion. This is the first time in Luke's gospel where we hear of Jesus making a conscious decision to obey His Father and to be submitted to His Father's will. But listen, this will not be the last time. Even in the garden, His last night, He prayed, not my will be done, but yours. Now notice what happened when Jesus chose to obey His heavenly Father. We must not miss this. Why did Jesus leave His mother and His father and this caravan and go back to Jerusalem and in turn calls His family such grief? He did it to obey His Father. And what did it bring Him? Misunderstanding. Not the last time that's going to happen. Think about what came before verse 49 and what comes after. Right before Jesus utters these two questions that, that just shed light on his identity. Listen to what his mom says. Why have you treated us so? Do you know the kind of grief we've experienced? And then right after. Luke tells us that after Jesus said this, his mom and dad said, we have no idea what you just said. <laughs> we have no idea what you're talking about. Young people, has there ever been a time when you felt like you were trying to get a point across to your mom and dad and they just did not understand? Well, Jesus can relate. Because in this moment, his mom and dad are not getting it. And we must not assume 
that just because Jesus is the Son of God incarnate, and just because He's conceived by the Holy Spirit, and He is announced by angels, we must not think there's no way anyone could misunderstand His identity or His mission. Quite the contrary. This is going to be a journey of misunderstanding. Even to the very end of the book, Jesus has died, risen. He is now walking around, appearing to disciples. He appears to two men on the road. And guess what? They still have no clue. They even said, yeah, it's the craziest thing. This this guy we've been following, he died. He was put in a tomb. And a whole bunch of people said, he's not there. Isn't that strange? Even at the end of this gospel, everyone's not getting it. Everybody's not clear. And listen, here's what we're going to see all throughout Luke's gospel. Often, this misunderstanding will take place by the people who are closest to Jesus. His mother and his father, his mother and his brothers, his disciples, his kinsmen. Sometimes those that are closest to him are going to say, Jesus, we have no idea what you're doing. Now that brings us to the perplexity associated with following Jesus. See, Jesus was not the only one to struggle with the fact that no one could fully get who he was and what he was about. What we're going to see time and time again throughout Luke's gospel, is that those who follow Jesus, both past and present, will experience moments of perplexity. Moments of perplexity which can take the form of mental and emotional anguish because you are following Jesus. There's going to be times... We're following Jesus is going to leave us perplexed to the point of emotional anguish, spiritual anguish, mental anguish. I mean, think about Mary's response again to Jesus. She uses the word anguish. Being the mother of Jesus caused her anguish. She was beginning to understand all these words spoken about Him. See, pain would be the price Mary would have to pay to know Jesus the way she did. Don't have a picture that Mary every morning was just like, I can't believe I'm the mother of Jesus. This is so cool. There's many days she probably thought, I have no idea. Not only why God picked me, but what in the world this is, what's, what's going on here? We must not think it's easy. And this is important for us to remember. If we think knowing Jesus will always be full of bliss, will always be full of peaceful moments without struggle, listen, hear this. If you have that idea that knowing Jesus will always be easy, always full of bliss, always peaceful and without struggle. It will only be a matter of time before your faith is shaken or possibly undone. So I stand here to warn you. Knowing Jesus is worth it. But it's not easy. 
And if we have this idea that following him, if he really is who he said he is, if, we, if he really is who Luke says he is, then, then why is this so hard? And get this, one of the most pressing and persistent trials that, that, that is often going to test our faith is this. We will experience it, this, this test in following Jesus time and time again, and it will be one of the most pressing and persistence of trials. It's when divine revelation brings us to a place of intellectual frustration. Why do I say that? Verse 50. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Now get this. Do you just realize what happened? We can think, well, maybe they don't understand because, well, I mean, Jesus didn't like come out and say it. Maybe his question format was kind of confusing. Maybe if he would have said a parable after, listen, Jesus' explanation was perfect. He didn't say anything wrong. He couldn't have said it better. Jesus gave a perfect explanation, but it did not bring immediate comprehension. Take that in. Nothing lacking in what Jesus said. But when he says that Mary and Joseph go, oh, okay, yeah, sure, it all makes sense now. So we have no idea what that means. That's not clear to us. Brothers and sisters, here is a lesson we must not forget. We must not confuse having certainty with having complete comprehension. Sometimes we can think certainty means every one of my questions has to be answered for it to be true or real. Friends, we are talking about the things of God. And as smart as you may be, and as smart as we may be, and as smart as many humans on this planet are, none of us are God. And if we could figure out God, He's not a very impressive God. So let us not think, well, I, I, I don't understand that, therefore it can't be true. No, because you can't understand it means it should humble you. And should cause you to be patient and careful and thoughtful. And that's exactly what, what Mary does. Notice the story isn't over. Luke makes some remarkable statements about Jesus in, Jesus in verses 51 and 52. We're actually going to return there next week. That wasn't my original plan, but I, I do want to come back. To what Luke says in verses 51 through 52. But here's how I want to close today's message. I want to reflect on one thing Luke says about Mary. In verse 51. After telling us that Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth. And was submissive to them. Then he throws this in. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. That is so, so 
helpful for us. Here's Mary, who was all filled with all this anguish and grief over Jesus going back. She finally finds him. She says, you better have a good explanation. And he gives her an explanation. She says, I still have no idea what you're talking about. And notice what she does. That moment was sweet to her. See, Mary stored up these sayings and these events in her heart instead of dismissing them due to a lack of comprehension with her mind. Just because she couldn't understand it with her mind doesn't mean she couldn't treasure it in her heart. Just because she didn't immediately get it and all of her questions wasn't answered and all of her intellectual objections weren't completely logically cleared up, she still said, I don't understand it all right now, but I'm going to hold on to it. Something just happened. My, my, my son just said something that though I don't get, I need to get it. And I'll trust over time, I will Get it. And over time, everything would begin to make sense to Mary. And eventually, she gained spiritual insight. And Mary's example of faith, it demonstrates for us something really important. It demonstrates to us what faith is and what faith is not. See, faith is not an act of stupidity. What do I mean by that? Our culture says, oh, you believe in a supernatural God who created everything, never had a beginning, never has an end. You might as well believe in the tooth fairy and the Easter bunny. It's almost like faith is stupid. And we don't have to use our minds. See, faith is not an act of stupidity or it's not for the simple-minded Faith is a bold act of humility before God. We're going to see that time and time and time again in Luke's gospel. Where the people who see Jesus wasn't because they saw him with their eyes. There were many people who were going to see him raise the dead and do miracles. Have you ever thought, well, if people could just see miracles. If I was only there and I could have saw it, I would have believed. There were people who saw it and said, Pfft. Some of you went so far and said, he belongs to Satan. <laughs> and those who did see it, you know why they saw it? Because of their PhDs? Because they grew up in Sunday school? They were humble. He said, God, we don't understand it all. But we're going to receive from you what we need to hear. And over time, you will make it clear. That's what faith is. And this is so helpful for us to remember as we make our way through this journey together. One of the primary ways we can humble ourselves before God by faith that we see here in Mary's example and we see time and time again, we, we humble ourselves by faith, by receiving divine revelation. How do we know who God is? How do we know things are true? Well, if there is a God, wouldn't He reveal Himself? 
Wouldn't he be a speaking God and revealing God? Therefore, we come with our hands out and our minds open and our hearts to receive, saying, God, I don't know everything. I don't have all the answers. I have a lot of questions. But I want to learn from you. And guess what? This isn't the last time Mary is going to be mentioned as an example of faith. We were to fast forward to chapter 11, verse 27 through 28, and this is where I want to close. Jesus is in a crowd. An incredible miracle takes place. Someone sees it, and this is what they say. A woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast in which you nursed. Somebody saw what Jesus did and said, Man, your mom. What an incredible woman. What does Jesus say? But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And everybody's just like, Jesus, your mom, like she must be top tier, like best in heaven. And Jesus said, you know who's blessed? Anyone who hears my word and keeps it. This is another major theme of Luke's gospel. Time and time again, we're going to learn that certainty doesn't come by having all of our answers, all of our questions answered. But here's how we begin to know this God. We believe his word. And we keep it. And both of those are important. Not surprised that I told you we needed to believe it. But Luke is going to mention where other times Matthew or Mark just talk about key believing the word. Matt, Luke, time and times again, says keeping it. And why is that important? Because you can't have certainty about something you're believing in if you're not trying to do it. We're not made that way. You can't believe this is God's word, live opposite of it, and not feel like your soul is being... You're experiencing two personalities. Well, I believe this, but I'm living opposite. So if we want to experience the beauty and the joy and the satisfaction of knowing Jesus, here's what we must do. Both today and tomorrow and for weeks on end as we make our way on this journey, we must receive God's word and believe it. And we must keep it. We must be people who say, God, you didn't just say this. For us to know, you said it for us to apply. Help us to apply it. Let me pray that we can do that now. Individually and as a church. Lord, that is a tall order for us to believe your word and to keep it. But you never call us to do anything that you will not enable us to do. So now we come to you in prayer and we ask for your help. As we make our way on this journey, this spiritual journey to know more of Jesus, to encounter more of Jesus and to have greater certainty. Lord, we are going to experience challenges along the way. 
And I pray that every time we open up your word, we believe what you say, and we seek to apply it. And I pray that the result of that would be that we would experience satisfaction and peace and joy in ways we never imagined. Lord, may this be the call of us as a church going ahead that we are a people who believe it and keep it. May we be a people who believe the word and keep it. Help us to do that now. Can't be by our strength. Won't be from our know-how and our knowledge and experience. So Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We will not know you apart from you revealing yourself to us and us humbly receiving this revelation. So Lord, show us more of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.